Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome to Pod Taken Quickly, the edition of our show where we cover emergency news stories that are just too juicy to miss. And last time we covered an uh, interesting scandal in Sochi, Russia, which is a little bit entertaining. This time, unfortunately, we have far more serious of a subject to dive into, and that is the fact that Manchester City, it has been announced today that the Court of Arbitration for Sport has revoked the two-year ban from UEFA on Manchester City for competing in European competition and has reduced their fine from $30 million to $10 million for what was originally seen as a breach of the FFP financial fair play regulation. Caleb Rhodes, the citizens really got away from one today. This was highway robbery, honestly. And as with many times we've seen UEFA go after clubs, often they don't get what they want initially. Like nobody truly believed that Manchester City were going to get a two-year ban. But I, I was really hoping that they'd get a one-year Champions League ban. But that obviously didn't happen. But I, I can just imagine a scenario now where Manchester City, who have been in relatively good form, better form than a lot of their other Champions League competitors, somehow win the Champions League after embarrassing UEFA in the courts. Alexander Seferin, the president of UEFA, has to hand them the trophy that they bought their way to. And I have nothing against, you know, buying players, but I think the fact that UEFA has shown now several times, because they tried prosecuting PSG a few years ago and failed, they tried prosecuting City now and failed, that essentially teams like City, teams like PSG, even teams like Chelsea are going to feel like they have completely free reign, especially in a time when COVID might otherwise be limiting club spending. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right in terms of the COVID spending situation and that this is really going to have a knock-on effect for teams such as Chelsea, who we've already seen have splashed the cash before the window is really even open. And we have really no sense of what the transfer window is going to look like this summer. But yeah, I think the, the fallout of this story is twofold. First, you have to look at the immediate situation with Manchester City uh, in that they are going to be able to continue to compete in European competition and splash the cash uh, however much they want to without repercussion. And we'll, we'll, we're going to dive deep into some of Manchester City's finances and net spend and transfers in the previous couple of years because it's quite interesting to look at how just how much money we're talking about here in terms of their actual income when it comes to transfers. But yeah, I, I think the second part of this is what does FFP look like in the future? Because I think this probably is the the nail in the coffin for that regulation. It's never really been seen as a rule to a lot of clubs. It's been seen more as like, oh, this is just some niche thing that we can work around somewhat. You look at the Neymar deal and the many different parties that funded that transfer, that over 200 million euro transfer, which of course was never going to fall in line with FFP regulations. And some of Manchester City's transfers as well, where they've spent up to 150 to 200 million euros or pounds on players. So I think we have to talk about the fact that these clubs are now going to be able to spend without any repercussion because we've seen what happens. They go to the courts and they win and they get was essentially a slap on the wrist and how this is going to affect maybe the little man in soccer going forward. Teams like Leicester City and Monaco who have defied the odds and won major competitions. And I think those are the stories that we all like, Caleb. And it, it's sad because we might not see any of those again because of just the wide disparity in finances that's going to go unpunished. So first, it's important to note that in general, 
financial fair play has been very, very good for soccer. At the start of the 2010s, UEFA found that European soccer clubs had $1.9 billion of debt. And in 2017, the clubs had actually turned a profit of $680 million. So it actually did, especially after the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, really help stabilize European leagues and a lot of clubs that were you know, handling their finances poorly and could go under. So it's actually been very good for stabilizing world soccer. The unintended consequence, though, have been to like lock in a kind of elite tier of teams that can never really drop out and prevent smaller clubs from getting into that. And I think what this ruling essentially says is that if you're an outside backer with a lot of oil money, for instance, like Sheikh Mansour at Manchester City, then FFP for you is essentially a guideline. It's something you should follow, but you won't actually suffer any consequences for it. Because remember, the reason City were in this case is because Sheikh Mansour owns part stakes in a lot of other Saudi Arabian companies, including things like Etihad Airways, which of course sponsor Manchester City and had inflated the amount of money in those sponsorship deals. So, But I think what we're going to see now is that top clubs that have a lot of money just don't need to care about FFP. And little clubs, though, really do because they can't afford not to. Um, and I think that's the sort of main unfortunate consequence of this is we're seeing the law applied unevenly um, to soccer teams, which just means that the big clubs get to abuse it going forward. Yeah, let's take a look at some of Manchester City's transfers and net spend ever since Pep Guardiola took over. Obviously, you have to put this in the context. Leicester City had just won the league after purchasing players like Riyad Mahrez and Golo Kante for very, very low sums. And they went on, obviously, it was a miracle upon miracles, and they went on to win the league in probably what is the greatest soccer story of all time. I don't think any of us here on this podcast dispute that. But then the next season, you had managers like Pep Guardiola come into the Premier League to take over Man City, Antonio Conte come into the Premier League to take over Chelsea, and uh, these boys <laughs> these boys spent money, Caleb Rhodes. In uh, Man City's first season under Pep Guardiola, he brought in John Stones for $61 million. He brought in Leroy Sané for $57 million. He brought in Gabriel Jesus for $35 million. Obviously, he arrived in January. He brought in Ilkay Gundogan for $29 million. And he brought in Claudio Bravo for $20 million. Uh, it was an income of $38 million for City and an expenditure of $236.5 million for City, which leads to an overall net spend of negative $197.62 million for City in Pep Guardiola's first season. Obviously, Antonio Conte and Chelsea went on to win the league. So Pep Guardiola needed reinforcements, especially in defense, where their defense was a real, real issue in his first season. Obviously, I remember them getting taunted by Everton 4-0. So, of course, they needed to uh, to spend a little bit more money on defense. And spend they did, Caleb, because next season... They brought in Benjamin Mendy for $63 million, Kyle Walker for $58 million, Bernardo Silva for $55 million, Ederson Marais from Benfica, the goalkeeper, $44 million, Danilo from Real Madrid for $33 million, and in January, Imeric Laporte for $71.5 million, leading to an income of $100 million, 
and an expenditure of $349.25 million, <laughs> leading to an overall balance of $248.77 million. So they're spending at least 2.5 times more than they're actually bringing into the club. So you can see why maybe some people are concerned <laughs> about the continuous spending of these big cl- big clubs going forward. We could talk about other teams such as uh, PSG or Chelsea uh, when it comes to FFP. But obviously the subject today is Man City. So Caleb, what do you make of that? And especially the notification that you received on your phone today about a potential transfer that Pep Guardiola is looking at making, which could cost a fair sum of money. Yeah, so I mean, I received a bleach report notification today, like minutes after the announcement, saying that Manchester City were interested in David Alaba and had like a 189 million euro war chest this summer. And I was like, see, that is so messed up. That is so messed up. Also, can we just say, like, a lot of the money Manchester City have spent, they've spent incredibly poorly, right? Like, I think the two clubs that have honestly spent the worst money in the past four years have probably been Manchester City and Barcelona. Definitely more so Barcelona. But I mean, like, Ben Mendy for 66, Danilo, and then they still are, they still more recently bought, like, Jao Cancelo. Well, I think that's part of the issue, though, is that clubs like Man City and clubs like Barcelona are just able to press the restart button when it comes to the transfer market. They're not they're not necess- they don't necessarily need to live with the financial consequences of making these really, really poor <laughs> financial decisions in the market. Like if John Stones bombs, if he's making mistakes, Pep Guardiola can open up the checkbook for seventy one million dollars and bring in Laporte the next season. Like there's no consequences that these teams need to live with when it comes to their transfer strategy, which is I think part of the problem. Right. And I think and I think some of the pundits um like watching NBC Sports have talked about this when watching Manchester City is they play such great soccer, but you know that it's all kind of manufactured and purchased in a lot of ways and sort of how you balance the aesthetic with sort of the distortions of the market that Manchester City bring with it. And I think what Manchester City are going to try to spin this as is like an unmitigated vote in favor of their model, validating it as legitimate. But I think we have to remember that they were still fined for obstructing justice. And this all started when Der Spiegel, the German publication, found some internal emails about these sponsorship deals. So I mean, like, I think Manchester City are going to try to spin this as being like we didn't do anything wrong but we do have to remember that they did get a slap on the wrist so like symbolically they're not totally pure and this is my this is my one conspiracy theory so you know how recently we've been seeing a lot of like phil foden and eric garcia i think i think that guardiola and i know they've both performed well so this is like very half-baked but I think Guardiola has been giving them extra minutes because he wants to like have more like homegrown players in the news when all this is coming out to deflect from the idea that their like entire club has been purchased for big money. I mean, you're not wrong at all. I think that is absolutely possible. And we've seen that they've gone out and signed players like Fabian Delph and maybe less so Jack Harrison, who's English. So they 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 because they need to bring in English talent because of what was then the homegrown rule. I don't know how strictly enforced that is nowadays. But yeah, we've seen that Man City have made certain moves just to 
placate the fact that they don't have any any real domestic talent in their squad. So, I, I mean, it, it doesn't sound as outrageous as you maybe thought it was. But yeah, I think the second part of this, Caleb, is we obviously love the underdog story in soccer. Recently on our podcast, we talked about Wigan Athletic and the problems that they're going through. But we also talked about how amazing it was that they were able to, ironically, beat Manchester City in the 2013 FA Cup. Uh, a small club like that. It was a real David and Goliath story if there ever was one. Obviously, we touched on Leicester City going on and winning the Premier League title with fairly modest financial resources. What do you think the repercussions of this financial fair play situation are going to have on the underdog stories in soccer? Are we going to start seeing less and less Leicester City stories and to a lesser extent, Monaco? Because let's remember that when Monaco went on and won the league, Next season, PSG went out and signed Neymar. Are we going to start to see less of these phenomenal David versus Goliath stories where David comes on top? Or is Goliath, in this case, Man City, PSG, Chelsea, etc., just going to end up squashing the little man under the foot? I think you have to think it must be incredibly demoralizing for clubs that have probably overperformed now. And I think this is where COVID really comes in. Most clubs don't have the ability to spend that far beyond their means. And without having fans coming to games and the revenue from that, they're losing more money than they could. But now that these top teams, essentially because COVID isn't actually affecting them financially, in reality, if their backers can just pump money in, they can just offer wages that mid-table clubs won't be able to offer anymore. And so there's gonna be a greater concentration of talent than even normally towards the top of the table. So I just think it's utterly demoralizing. And my fear is that we're going to see the Premier League, which already, I I think we're going to see the Premier League become like even more concentrated towards the top, which doesn't even seem possible because there are like six or seven really top teams in the league. But I just think it's going to be even harder for teams to hold on to even up and coming talent if they could get slightly better wages, even as like a squad or reserve player. Yeah, I think even as a Liverpool fan, I'm a little bit concerned about this because even though Liverpool have vast financial resources, the Fenway Sports Group is not the Etihad Group. Like they are not, John Henry and co are not Sheikh Mansour. And they we've already seen that they're not willing to splash the cash for players like Timo Werner and those, and he's signed with Chelsea for a significant sum. And Chelsea have already boosted their squad following their transfer ban with players like Hakim Ziyech and they're looking into buying Kai Havertz. So even the team that has just won the league in Liverpool, a team that is so organized from a football and financial standpoint, I think they could fall behind the peg following a ruling like this, especially considering that their financial resources might not be able to compete with the continuous unchallenged resources of Man City. Right. I was actually going to ask you about Liverpool because I feel like this will be very disheartening even to the current champions, knowing that they're, I mean, Klopp's very publicly said they're not going to bring people in. We've already seen top targets like Timo Werner go to Chelsea instead. I mean, considering that the club isn't adding players really, like essentially <laughs> the player you're going to be adding is Curtis Jones in place of Adam Milana in the squad. <laughs> right. <laughs> like how, how does that make you feel in terms of, going forward right i feel like it now just seems like unfair even for the champions and i think when that is true you know something is wrong i mean it's definitely scary to know that 
we don't really know what happened in the courts. We don't know what evidence Man City brought. We know that it was something to do with a statute of limitations situation, which was able to maybe exonerate them a little bit. But we also know, like you said, Caleb, that they <laughs> they did get a slap on the wrist for obstructing justice. They still were fined 10 million euros. So as a Liverpool fan who is their club, is my club has recently just been crowned champions, it's disheartening to know that that success could all be undermined by a blank check for Man City, who could fix their errors from the transfer market in the previous couple of seasons by just kind of waving a magic wand of dollars and not having to reckon with some poor transfers in the past. And they don't have to sit with those as long as other teams would have to sit with their bad financial decision-making. It's pretty disheartening, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like essentially what we're seeing is law has been laid down that in order to be competitive, you have to be willing to spend far beyond your means and be willing to pay whatever fine comes with that. And I think that totally goes against what Liverpool have done in recent years, which is in a very sort of slow and steady manner, build the club sensibly. Like Liverpool are really, in a lot of ways, the model for what FFP soccer should look like, right? Being able to build a club, but doing it, you know, methodically and carefully. While now City have just shown that like revving yourself up on roids is actually the answer. Um, and I worry that in order to stay competitive, everybody's going to have to be doping now, essentially. And so I think, and maybe that's a kind of crude and unfair way to put it, but I actually don't think it is entirely. And I think we're just seeing a kind of hollowing out of values in terms of what it means to be a champion and what it means to be a club. Right. I think those are all important questions. Hopefully, the era of the underdog is not totally dead and buried, but we felt that it was important to come on and maybe wave wave the white flag, perhaps, for these underdogs and just say how, I don't know, just a little disappointed we are in this ruling. I, I certainly am disappointed that UEFA and the Court of Arbitration for Sport have not held firm in their position and they've kind of bent over. Oh, I'm very disappointed. Um, and I guess now, now this is just the world we live in. We say that a lot these days about a lot of things. But this is the world we live in. And it'll be interesting to see what happens next, whether that means the scrapping of FFP for a new set of regulations that have more teeth or sort of the continued dual existence of FFP on one hand and a lack of enforcement on the other. But these are all important questions. And I'm glad, Nick, we've taken the time to talk about it. This has been Pod Taken Quickly, and we hope you enjoyed our show.